Welcome to In Step with Broadway Dance Lab, a podcast that explores the practice and process of becoming a choreographer. Today, a conversation with Karen Sieber. You know, I don't think it's about being perfect, and I think that was a big lesson for me, that I felt like I had to be perfect all the time. And I've come to realize you don't. Because a lot of times, and I think even for actors, they would say, it's when I messed up. I, I got booked and when I was perfect they didn't, you know, I think if you're really there it's not about being perfect, it's about being human. Born in Switzerland, Karen began her dance career with Zurich Dance Theatre and Matt Maddox's Jazz Art before relocating to New York City. She has performed, choreographed, and directed at regional theatres across the country as well as working in the worlds of concert and television. Karen spoke with me about her extensive background in assistant associate work and the role women play in shaping today's art. I think there could be stories that I would think that would be suited for a woman to direct, but then again, not necessarily. I think it depends on how much you can put yourself into somebody else's shoes. I'm Nick Kepley, Director of Communications for Broadway Dance Lab, and your host for today. Stay with us. So welcome, Karen. Thank you. Yes, um, and uh, I'm just going to have you start by... Uh, asking a question that I like to sort of ask everyone when we begin, which is just how did dance come into your life? Um, Dance came into my life um, in the form of African dance, West African. I was seven years old and my mom said, I think you should take ballet. And I said, absolutely not. I will never take ballet, but I do want to take West African, which is funny only in that I grew up in Switzerland. And nobody was dancing West African. Yeah. And um, funny enough, my mom found a studio with live drummers and everything, and I danced West African. Wow. And talk more about your your growing up in Switzerland and and how did you make your way over over here? Yes, I grew up in Switzerland. I started all my training in Switzerland, and I was extremely lucky because in that small town that I grew up in, there was an amazing dance studio, and they were she was from the Paris Opera House, and he was from the West End. And um, I got to train with them. And actually, um, when I first auditioned for the studio, he loved me um, because I was very jazzy naturally. And she said, you're not good enough to be in my ballet class. And I was like, oh my god, okay. So, um, but funny enough, I feel like that was the first sort of test, you know, for me to see how much I really wanted it. So I went and started training with him and then trained on the outside in other ballet studios until I was good enough to go and take. and then I went on into a conservatory, dance conservatory in Zurich, and had amazing teachers. I was really, really lucky. They brought in, you know, people from the Royal Ballet, from the Graham Company, from Rambert. Um, and after a year, I got a scholarship to go to London and trained in London, and then went to Paris, and then finally made it to New York City. Wow. So right off the bat, I guess, in your training, you were sort of exposed to both theater and concert dance. Yes. I would want to say concert dance more so. Okay. Um, I had one voice lesson a week, and that was pretty much the theater training I got as a young younger person. Um, so I wanted to be a concert dancer, and I was, um, you know, on a ballet scholarship. Um, I learned all the different techniques, but it was definitely geared toward, uh, towards concert dance. Uh, when I came to New York, I... I didn't find the same sort of company work that I, you know, really liked in Europe, and then fell into musical theater and and loved it, and then stayed. And how did you fall into musical theater? You just happened to go to an audition? Or, yes, yeah, I oh. went to an audition, 
um, and booked a job. And what and was it, that? And um, it was funny. It was a rock opera called Tabaluga and Lily, okay. uh, which then toured Europe with an oh. all-American company. Okay. <laughs> um, and Danny Herman was the choreographer. Um, and it was a really neat experience. And it... Um, paid really well and <laughs> it was really fun and then that was that. And do you feel like um, your your training in, in concert dance helped you in that world or what was that like you know moving between those worlds? Yes I think it did just because I had really strong technique. Right. I also have to mention that first job had a lot of African dance in the show. Wow. Yes so there was my training right, as right. a seven-year-old. I'm curious because I also kind of moved from classical ballet into the theater world and I remember when I first started to audition in New York for theater feeling like I had to sort of change my approach to auditioning as far as being a little bit more showy with my personality and my face you know a lot of times in ballet right. you're almost just discouraged from using your face sometimes right. um, do, did you have similar experiences with that like what was the learning curve like that, you know that I don't remember that okay. I think if anything I was always too big Okay. Like, I, I remember um, singing a song in my training in Switzerland still, and they were all scared. And I was like, what? I'm just emoting. And they're like, no, you are scary. So I think for me it was the opposite. I was always big, and I had to try to pull back a little bit. And so talk a little bit about touring, uh, what, what your experience was like on the road, and, and yeah, a little bit about that. You know, I love touring. Um, it was a great way for me to see the United States. Um, I also thought it was it was wonderful to go from place to place and then really learn about the city and see where I was and and visit the museums and and doing a show for a long time touring I thought kept it fresh because every venue was slightly different and I was dance captaining most of the time so there was always a lot of work and a lot of figuring things out um, so for me that was a really great experience yeah. and, and going back to your 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 training in your childhood overseas you know did you watch a lot of American musicals uh, kind of how did that how did the American musical theater kind of come into your mind um you know it did and like for example we saw chorus line which I know is not was nothing oh. like the original but yeah. I didn't know that at the time and mm -hmm. I thought it was great um I want to say in Europe there was a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber at the time okay <laughs> you know yeah so I grew up with Cats and Fan of the Opera Starlight Express in Germany um all those sort of big mega musicals um, West Side Story I saw, which I loved. Mm. Um, my first audition was for Cats when I was 15, I think, or 14. Mm. Um, so it was those kind of musicals. All the other, you know, musical works that I love so much now, I was not really exposed to mm -hmm. at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so then you sort of began to transition into uh, more like assisting and associate work, correct, when you, when you were first moving into choreography? Yes. Well, um, I was a swing from the very beginning okay. most of the time, and then a, an assistant dance captain, then a dance captain, and then right away started assisting, um, which was an easy fit for me just because, you know, I grew up in Switzerland. I was very organized. <laughs> I was very quick, um, and, and that came really easy to me. Um, and how did that job, you know, I think a lot of people sort of aren't sure exactly how that even how to even get that job. It's not like you can audition to be an assistant. You yes. know? So how did that happen for you? Um, it happened for me. My first assisting job, um, I was asked to join pre-production. 
um, for a show and I was not dance captain or anything. I was just asked to do pre-production for five weeks or four weeks, I don't remember. And, um, maybe and for anyone that doesn't know what pre-production is, that's the, the period before a show actually launches into actual rehearsals, rehearsal. where you're sort of prepping for, for those rehearsals yes. to create the material for those rehearsals. That's right. So we worked with the choreographer and, and uh, musical director and the dance arranger, and there was a couple dancers in the room working with the team. And um, me being me, I took notes of everything and, you know, really was very thorough with it. And one of the producers came over and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing down what we're doing. And he said, can I look at it? And I said, yeah, sure. So he did. And the next day he pulled the choreographer aside and said, Karen, come here. Can you please show him your book? And I said, yeah. And I showed him my book. And then um, I became dance captain and then I became his assistant. Wow. So that's how that works. So wow. it was really being proactive. Yeah. Um, doing what to me came naturally, but entailed, you know, part of what an assistant does. Right. And what are some, some aspects of your personality or your um, strengths that you think make you a good, a good assistant or that people are looking for in good assistants? Um, I think, I don't know that I'm still a good assistant, but <laughs> um, when I was a really good assistant, I didn't want to be the choreographer at the time, uh-huh. right? I wanted to be that second person that's there to help and to bring ideas, but at the same time, clean up everything. I knew right away what the choreographer wanted. Mm-hmm. I knew what his style um, was, so he could start something and I could finish it for mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. or if he would get frustrated or she... Um, and I could say, just give me a couple minutes, and I know how you like it. I can clean it up so that you'll be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a good assistant, in my experience, is somebody that can do those kind of things. And were you in roles where you were maintaining shows beyond the choreographer's involvement? Like Yes, sometimes. Sometimes, no. Sometimes I left after opening, and sometimes I stayed with the show. And, and what is that like? Uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to put in a new person into an existing show? Yes. Um, I would make a lot of times I was in charge of making the Bibles for those shows. When If they were new shows, I would make the Bibles, which is a lot of work, mm-hmm. right? Writing down all the steps, all the formations, all the positions throughout the whole show um, most of the time I w- would say it took me about six months to finish it Wow! Um, and then teaching new people to come in so I had to know all their blocking but I also a lot of times I think really had to teach them where it was coming from and what you know what the choreographer wanted and I've heard stories from people before who, who have been associates on shows you know it can be a lot of pressure like trying to continue the choreographer's vision without them being present and and then correct me if I'm wrong but sometimes the choreographer will come back and watch and and either you've done a good job or maybe you've maybe you've overstepped or I mean do you have did, were there any experiences where you know, that you kind of learned like oh I because I'm sure as a creative person you, you may have found yourself kind of sometimes wanting to adjust things or are there any stories like uh, you know does that make sense yes it, it makes complete sense I, I I feel like first of all I think most of the time the people I worked for I knew them very well so I knew what they wanted so I never had the experience of them coming back and saying wait what happened to my show right so I didn't have that experience however I did have the experience of knowing them so well that I would start you know, adding things, not in terms of shows already existing, but when we were in rehearsal for something new, and them being, feeling like I was starting to overstep, mm-hmm. um, which 
honestly wasn't the case. I was just trying to clean up and do things. But, you know, it can be, um, depending on how the person feels that day, it can be taken. You have to be careful. You don't want to overstep your line. So definitely that would happen once in a while. Mm -hmm. And so what was the moment when you were like, maybe I do want to do this. Maybe I do want to be a choreographer. It's interesting because I got a lot of offers to Mm -hmm. choreograph when Mm -hmm. I was assisting um, because I did a lot of work as an assistant. Um, And... I always turned it down and at the time I thought I don't want to be a choreographer I'm the perfect assistant that's what I want and um, I then took a break from dancing I was um, assisting on a big Hollywood movie and dancing in and assisting and wanted to be an actress I loved what was happening I loved what I was seeing and I thought that's it I'm tired of dancing I'm tired of assisting I'm gonna be an actress so I stopped for three years and um, took a um, extensive, right? It's the English yeah. word. Yeah, yeah. extensive um, <laughs> acting training. And it was interesting because it was a really great process for me because I stepped away from, first of all, thinking, trying to figure out what somebody else wants and to really listen to what I wanted or what I was thinking or mm. my instincts were. Mm. You know, I really learned to be in the moment to really just deal with what I see and be an artist Mm -hmm. in that way Mm -hmm. and then the interesting part is I did not become an actress necessarily but I then realized that that is what I wanted to bring into my dance and that I didn't want to choreograph. Mm -hmm. So did you find yourself as you were training and acting just starting to to listen to music and and starting starting to imagine things or or how did that like what was your first thing that that sort of began the choreographic journey out of, out of that. It's interesting because I don't think it was the music because I always naturally could just dance to music and knew what I wanted to do, but it was the it was the script. Mm-hmm. I started looking at scripts and thinking um, this is what I see. This is this is the angle I would take. This is what I would want to do with this story. Mm-hmm. These are my instincts with it. And then try to use the dance numbers or use dance to help with that. Mm-hmm. So that's what changed for me. It mm-hmm. wasn't so much just the the music part. Right. Does that make sense? It does, um, yeah. And that's what I felt like really was a big turning point for me. Okay. And it's interesting, yeah, because I think, um, I think a lot of times choreographers end up becoming directors, you know, and it's at least the really great ones, you know, oftentimes will become director choreographers. Right. And that is because... I think it's when you do approach the movement in the show not just as a dance break, but as an actual method of storytelling from start right. to finish. Right. You know. I think that's true. I think I've talked to some choreographers who don't want to direct. Mm-hmm. Very successful choreographers, and I think it's I I love directing, but I think it just depends on how you approach the whole piece. Mm-hmm. I think it's very very different, right? If you're going to do both. Because right. you're obviously not just going to do the dancing, but I think I want to look at it. And it's funny, even as a choreographer, I approach a, a piece by looking at the script and by seeing, feeling why I feel like the story needs to be told. Um, just quickly going back to, you mentioned that you worked on that film, and I, I am curious to hear what that experience was like and how you feel like working with movement on film is different than working with movement on the stage. Um, it started out the same way in that um, we did pre-production. Um, and this was a Christmas Carol. This was right? a Christmas okay. Carol, yeah, For Hallmarks, NBC. yeah, okay. NBC and Hallmark. I think one of the biggest um, differences you learn, you still chore- we choreograph numbers, 
just like we would in a theater, but they were more separate. They were, it wasn't as much of a, because each number was filmed on a different sound stage, mm -hmm. so it didn't have the continuity, you know, of theater, obviously. Right. So we could do very specific things for each number. Right. And then also, a lot of times, you really have to think on your feet. Like, we would be there and they said, we need movement here. Mm -hmm. So you come up with something and they need to film it yesterday. Right. You know, everything is super, super fast. You wait for days and then it's super, super fast. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you launched out on your own as a choreographer, mm -hmm. what was your very first project? My very first project, not counting college, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to say it was summer stock. Okay. I think my husband was running a summer stock theater in Ohio, uh -huh. and um, he's a director, obviously, and he was going to um, do a show and direct and choreograph it because it was not a big dance show. And then I was there, and um, last minute he was like, "You know what? I think I do need a choreographer. Oh. Can you please choreograph it?" How convenient. <laughs> yes. Very convenient. And I did. So that was the first one. Um, and what show was it? It was a new show, you said? No, that was not a new show. That was um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was the first one that I jumped into with pretty much no preparation. Right. Um, and then, you know, it got a lot better <laughs> after that. Yeah. Um, the, the really neat thing was we worked together as a team on, I want to say, seven or eight shows. Wow in that theater and I think it was a really great time because um, we didn't have a lot of fancy sets we didn't have a lot of fancy anything mm -hmm. we had some really great young people who were college grad and then we had to be really creative mm -hmm. it's like how do you do limits without anything yeah you know so I feel like we came up with with works that I was really proud of because I think I mean I could be wrong but I think you know later on working on a show that had everything it's so much easier to cover up if you have beautiful everything right. but if you don't have that then what are you gonna do yeah and how are you gonna solve problems and how are you gonna do it creatively right and that really was neat for me so I think I'm always drawn to first of all making sure it's what I'm doing is sound and, and works even without anything around it and second of all how can I come up with it and make it creative and not use all the big things if I don't have to yeah it's interesting I've had a lot of conversations with people about that I remember when I was working at Ballet Austin I had a conversation with the executive director there who you know they're, they're a very successful company now but she was sort of lamenting their early days when things were a little bit tougher and tighter but she felt like that forced people to be actually more creative with yes. what they did. Yes, yeah. I, I would really agree with that. And I think it kind of sticks with you because I feel like once you do that, it's a way of working that, that you either like or don't like, but it kind of stays with you even if the production values get better. Right. To learn more about Josh Prince and Broadway Dance Lab, visit www.broadwaydancelab.org. Instep will be right back. Do you ever feel, or have you ever had this experience, you know, with with the script? I mean, some, some it depends. Sometimes the director is involved with the writing of the script, but sometimes the script arrives 
sort of semi-formed, if not completely formed, before the director starts to work with it. And I've actually experienced, I'm thinking of Mark Brokaw in Cinderella, there was, a, uh, he, he has been quoted before as talking about the need for a director to try his best not to change, not to ask for a line alteration before he's done everything he can possibly do to make the line work. Mm-hmm. But then I've also seen other directors who very quickly will be like, this line isn't working, we got to change it, you know. So what I'm curious about in the dance world is I've been part of pre-production processes where the director has come in very early in the, in the mm-hmm. pre-pro process mm-hmm. and immediately started to make changes. And sometimes that's, that can be helpful, but sometimes it also feels like, well, you haven't really had a chance to see what I'm trying to do you right. know, first. Right. I mean, do you have any stories that that bring to, brings to mind, any experiences? I don't. Where, I don't have yeah. any experiences like that. But I think I would, I feel like it helps if you as a choreographer get to say, I think now I'm ready for you to see it. You know, I, right. I think as long as you've talked about ideas and, and, and I would want to talk about what I'm trying to create and if that sounds good, you know, and we're on the same page, then I would want to try to create some of it before the person would come in and see it. Right. However, if a director would say, I need to come in now, obviously that would be fine. Um, I think it is important to be able to do things, to go for it and to do things wrong Mm -hmm. to find the right thing. Mm -hmm. I think that that's maybe gonna sound bad, but I think trying to create the perfect thing of what you think a person wants is never necessarily a good thing because I don't think it's the the, the one that you're taking the most most risks with. So speaking of the need to have a place to make mistakes, you came to BDL. Yes. Um, will you talk, and this was in 2015, we were just discussing yes. when that mm-hmm. was. Um, will you, and that was actually our first year, I believe, that we had outside choreographers come in. So it was an exciting time for us. Right. Um, will you talk a little bit about what you did with us, what that process was like? Yes, I got to um, create a piece, and I love that I had complete freedom. Um, and it, for me, that was a really terrific experience. I actually feel like BDL really helped me as an emerging choreographer. Mm. And, and it was a very specific project that you worked on, right, yes. with us? Will you talk about what that was? Yes. Um, I was working on a new project, uh, a new musical with my husband, and I was creating a, a piece from that show um, that we also got to use to then show the package to producers or theaters um, and got to really play with movement from a really early um, point. Yeah. Um, and that was extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious too, I, I've had a, a couple of experiences these past this past year working with dancers that I had nothing to do with the casting of. Yes. And uh, sort of in the same vein of talking about, you know, being being forced to be more creative with, you know, less materials or whatever. I mean, these dancers are incredible that you're working with, but sometimes I find it's it can be interesting to work with dancers that you may not have necessarily chosen yourself because right. they bring things that you're like, oh, I didn't even know that could happen. Yes. You know, what, I mean, talk about a little bit about what that was like working with our dancers. Um, I think I was extremely lucky in that I got a really wonderful group of dancers. Mm-hmm. I also had a couple specific things I needed um, for my piece and I was lucky enough to find it in the dancers I had but also I feel like exactly what you say there were people that maybe I don't know if I wouldn't have cast them I feel like I would have cast the whole group (laughs) to be truthful right right yeah but um, I did see not knowing them at all was really interesting for me and to go in and teach them a, a part of you know the piece and then to see who I wanted to be what 
um, and, and do that really quickly and, and try to get to know them was, was a really neat process. And I felt like it didn't, it, it went so fast. I feel like I, I knew right away what I wanted to use them for and what I got from them and, and what I loved. And, and then it grew, obviously, and we developed and I got to know them much more. Um, and I, I thought that was, that was really neat. Mm. And what do, you, what do you look for in a dancer? What, what draws your attention to a dancer? An actor. An actor. Yeah, most important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I feel like everybody says that, but it, it's, it's really true for me. And what I mean with an actor is I think I need somebody that's really present. I look for somebody that's energetically present, with, you know, present with ideas. And, yes, they need to be technical, but I think I look for people. I love people who take risks. Mm-hmm. I'm not that interested in people who are very safe or that I feel like are not super present. And I'm sure in your career you've been behind the table a good bit. Right. Uh, and uh, you know, what are some things that you've seen from performers that have sort of gotten them the job? Or what do you, what do you think makes a good audition, makes for a good audition? I think for me, every time somebody comes in and you feel like they know who they are, and they come in and they say, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I see this, this is how I feel this, I find those people are really being considered. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I mean, that's so easy to say, you know, but I feel like when you come in and we don't get a feeling for who you are, I think it's easy to overlook you. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's talented. There's so many talented people. But when somebody comes in and they're comfortable with who they are, right. I think, um, and, and they're not afraid to take risks, I think that really sticks out because yeah. I feel like you'd be surprised by how many people try to be what you want them to be. Right. And I think then we can't see who you are. And then we don't know if we want to work with you and we don't always have time to figure it out. It's such a hard balance because you you need the job, you know. Yes. I mean and, yes. and you come in it's you know, you're trying to be comfortable in who you are and show yourself, but really at the end of the day, you're like, you know, who knows how many years of unemployment or whatever, and you really need the job. Yes. So uh, it can be challenging to sort of take that moment before you go in maybe and say to yourself, okay, just breathe in and out and just, you know, be, be me. I completely agree <laughs> with you. It's really hard. And that's easy to say when you're not, you know, a person auditioning. But I do feel like purely as an artist, I feel like, that's what I tell myself, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like I say to myself, I'm going to be me and I'm going to be the best me I could possibly be. So at the end of the day, I can look in the mirror and say I did the best I could, but I was me and I was creative. Because I think you don't know what people want. Mm-hmm. And I also think you can't, I do believe that if you're meant to get something, you will get it. If you're meant to work with somebody, you will get it even if you mess up. You know, I don't think it's about being perfect. And I think that was a big lesson for me, that I felt like I had to be perfect all the time. And I've come to realize you don't. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, and I think even for actors, they would say, it's when I messed up, I, I got booked. And when I was perfect, they didn't, you know, I think if you're really there, it's not about being perfect. It's about being human. And I think, I think, do think it comes with age as well, but I also think it comes with failure. Mm-hmm. So I think failure is a, is a great tool in yeah. a way, I think, because then you say, all right, well, that happened. I'm still alive. I'm still here, right? It's okay. It's okay to fall on your face. And I think if you're not willing to fall on your face, then you're not going to have that one experience that you go, oh, my God, that was amazing. Then you're just going to be safe. Yeah. So I always feel like go in and just 
you know, do whatever you want to do. It's your time. Mm-hmm. And, and that applies to choreographers, in my opinion, as much as it applies to actors. Um, I feel like, you know, if you're not going to go in and do what you want to do, it's your time. Whether it's an interview or an audition, it's your time. It's your, your time to, to be an artist. It's your time to be creative is a better word. Mm-hmm. And, and then it will either work out or it won't, but you will feel good about what you did. All right. I'm going to ask you to be very vulnerable right now and answer um, a time when, when you feel like you had a failure and what, what it taught you. Oh my goodness, I think I had so many. Um, I think I thought my biggest failure was that I didn't book a Broadway show. Okay. Um, and that was really hard for me because I was so close so many times mm-hmm. and got offers and then they were taken back. I mean, you know, yes. just <laughs> bad. Yeah. And I was like, how is that possible? And everybody always said, well, it will come, it will come, just keep going. Well, it did not come. (laughs) So I set out to do something that I did not achieve. Mm -hmm. And that hurts, Mm -hmm. you know, because you feel like, I could go down and build a story of why, and or I can just say, well, that's what it is. That's how I came to terms with it. And I thought somehow that was not meant to be for me. Yeah, one of my favorite pieces of of advice or something I read recently was, that dreams are not always meant to be actually achieved, but sometimes it can be just as powerful to have the dream and let it point you in a direction. Yes. Because if you have a, a dream, whatever it is, whether or not you get it, it still moves you yes. forward. And yes. then along the way, you might discover like, oh, there's there's this thing that I never knew I was even interested in right. that I wouldn't have known about if I hadn't have had this dream. Right. You know, so yes. it doesn't necessarily mean just because you don't achieve it that it didn't have a purpose and that it wasn't useful. Yes, I completely agree. Because I feel like if we don't have dreams, then we're not really alive. Right. Right? Because I also have a, you know, I'm in an age group now where friends stop and say, well, I'm going to stop because I'm having a baby or whatever. And I think for me, I feel like I don't ever want to stop. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means and wherever it's going to, go but I feel like it's just beginning Mm -hmm. somehow I feel I really truly feel so excited about where I'm at and what's happening and how I'm learning to know myself and the the kind of works I want to do and uh, the works I'm creating and the teaching I'm doing and the choreography I'm doing that I feel like you never want to stop dreaming just like you said and wherever it will take me it will take me somewhere and it will give me an experience and an experience in the end is what we remember It takes a village to make Broadway Dance Lab happen, and we depend on the support of organizations and individuals who believe in our mission and who want to help us nurture the next generation of choreographic talent. To learn more about how you can get involved or to make a donation, please visit broadwaydancelab.org. InStep will be right back. Um, Talk a little bit about, I think, myself included, there are a lot of emerging choreographers out there who are very perplexed by the process of getting your name out there and getting these interviews and these meetings. You know, how the heck do you do that? So will you talk a little bit about at least how you, like, do you have an agent or how have you gone about um, propelling your career forward in that way? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like it was a lot of hit or miss. Um, I do. I had an acting agent, but did not have a choreography agent, and I interviewed with two agencies, and then thought that's not really what it was about because 
I don't necessarily need some somebody to negotiate for me right now. So I thought that's not what I'm looking for. I feel like I first want to find and create works that really speak of who I am as a choreographer and then find a team around me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for me it's building relationship. Um, I try to speak you know, with as many people as I can speak. I try to go and attend things. I try to go, um, I try to be attentive to what other people are doing. Um, I try to write people that I like and introduce myself and I'm pretty consistent in doing that. And I thought if I look at it not as I'm selling myself, but I am building a community of artists I want to work with. Yeah, you know, but even what you just said is in interesting to me because I, I was part of a an artist kind of collaborative like six-week workshop in Austin that I got invited to to be part of and it was visual artists and dance artists and theater and, and all all different art forms and one of the biggest lessons and and not not really for me actually I haven't really struggled with this as much but for a lot of people it was really a struggle to even look at art as a business you know there's like there's this feeling that if we call what we do a business that it, it makes it less artistic, you right. know, less um, valid or something. And it, I mean, we all, we all have to live. We yes. all have to make, you know, a, a paycheck. Right. And it is a business. Right. You know, so I think reframing the negativity of the word business right. can be very useful. Yes, I think so. And I think me personally, I don't, I don't believe in that you have to be starving artist to be an artist, you know? Um, so I think if you add value to something, you get value back, and that then will will be respect, hopefully, but also money. So now I've come to the inevitable question, which is I want to talk about what it's like being a female in, in the industry. You know, it's interesting because I think um, I've had experiences that were not pleasant because of me being a female, I, and I'm a very petite female, um, and I, I look very... I mean, kind of sweet. Yes, yes say, you do. right? Yes. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fierce. When you know me, I'm not really that person that you. I'm not necessarily the girl next door. But I think the first assumption of people is that I am, and then I have to prove that I can actually take charge of a room, which I can. But it's that stereotype of, let me see, you're not assertive enough. Um, I had that experience once with a producer, and that was a couple years ago. But still, I remember walking out and him suggesting I should wear um, tight skirts and a, a business jacket, and you know, to come across as a businesswoman. And and I left thinking, is he right? Is that true? And I thought, rubbish. No, I'm gonna be who I am. I think, but I have to be able to be me, and make you feel like. I am assertive and I can't take charge. Right. That's even so interesting though that that he would even comment on your wardrobe. I mean, I yes. just I feel like that's something that wouldn't happen for a man. No. You know. I that would never happen for right. a man. Exactly. So, and then in hindsight, I thought I should have told him off right there, mm -hmm. politely, <laughs> clearly. Right. And at the time I didn't. So I learned um, and now I would never let anybody speak to me that way, I hope. And I also feel like I don't want to tell myself the story that it's different for me as a woman. Because I feel like if I do, I'm going to look for evidence that that's the case. Mm -hmm. And that's going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm going to tell myself the story of, no, that does not affect anybody's choice. And they're either going to believe in me because they think I can do the job, or they don't. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it, it changes your like creativity do you think it affects like do you think your viewpoint is different than a man 
Well, I that's hard for me to say because I don't necessarily know what a man feels, right, you know. Right. Um, I would think so probably, but I think every person is different. So I look at it more as, I mean, you know, is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it a, I don't know. I think every person is different and every person will bring something to it that's uniquely theirs. And mm. it's our job to be open enough to let that come out. Mm. I'm curious, have you seen Waitress? No, I have not. Yeah. I'm curious because you know I worked on Waitress and, and right. everyone was making a big deal of the all-female team, which, right. which was really great. Yes. But talking actually, sort of some people were, were saying that it had, this show itself has a female viewpoint or, or that when you watch the show, it, it feels feminine in a certain way. Right. And I was there, you know, from the beginning of it, so I, I don't really have a good gauge of it, but I wonder, I wonder if... If I told you before you walked, or if I didn't tell you before you walked in that it was made by women, mm -hmm. if you would be like, oh, that show feels like it was made by women, I mean, what does that even mean? Right, you know? right, because every woman is not every woman, right? Right. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think there could be stories that I would think that would be suited for a woman to direct, but then again, not necessarily. I yeah. think it depends on how much you can put yourself into somebody else's shoes. Right. Um, and, and how open you are to... To listening and seeing what what that piece would be like or that information would be like from a, somebody else's perspective right um, so it's an interesting you know thing to talk about I think and I definitely think there's not as many women yet as there are men and um, I'm glad to be a woman right <laughs> but um, I think there's enough women that are very successful so that I would not be able to tell a story of it's really hard because there's other people doing it, so it's possible. Yeah. I'm curious about if you feel like you have developed or are developing uh, your own sort of unique viewpoint. This is something, this is a question that I am wrestling with myself personally in my own life right now, and I was asking Josh about it when we, when we talked yes. to you. Um, and one thing that one thought I had after I spoke with him was that working as a choreographer in theater does sort of force you to be a chameleon, mm -hmm. and almost sometimes I think it could it can feel like you're almost not allowed to develop too specific a viewpoint mm -hmm. because you limit yourself. Right. However, there are people like Fosse or Robbins to a less degree, but you know Stephen Hoggett, certain certain people that come forward that really do have very strong. Um, styles or points of view and they really end up changing the genre mm -hmm. so you know I wrestle with that as mm -hmm. an artist like mm -hmm. do I because I tend to be drawn to anything that has just a very strong viewpoint whether whether or not I, I love it or not if I if I watch something and I'm like okay they really had something to say and they mm -hmm. said it I really admire that and right. so in my own development I've I've sort of been wrestling with like, well, what is my viewpoint and what do I have to contribute to the field? Is that something that you've been thinking about or where, do you, where are you with that journey yourself? I, I think that's a great question because for me, viewpoint and style is slightly different mm -hmm. in that I feel like, I mean, I think style can come out of viewpoint, but I think viewpoint for me is, is that we don't live in a bubble. So how does the world influence me now? And I feel like I always want to know what's happening because it's going to, because I don't live in a bubble and I think I want to be able to bring into my work what is happening um, and, and how it's affecting me and what it makes me feel and what viewpoint I have about it. Um, so I think viewpoint is crazy important, whether you're an actor or, uh, you know, for any 
creative person um, because otherwise what are you going to say? Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of times if you're very influenced by by things around you or political things or or social issues or human issues, I think that can then turn your work a little bit into a sort of style. Mm -hmm. Do you think being a mother has changed you as an artist? Oh yeah, I think so. In what way? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think you learn how much more you can do than you ever thought you could do. Because <laughs> you have to. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> it is crazy. Yes. Um, and I also think kids are so honest, so completely honest, and so creative. You know, um, I don't know if I ever told you this little story of my little girl, I think she was five, and she wanted to do steam heat. Mm -hmm. And I showed her the Bob Fosse clip, and she said, that's great, but that's not what I'm going to do. And I said, you know, me, I'd be like, how do I make Bob Fosse better? Right. And she, I said, okay, that's great. What are you going to do? And she was like, hmm. She ran into the kitchen. She got a bowl. She got some mixing um, spoons and things and a tea kettle. She said, I'm baking cookies, and it's so boring. I'm, you know, doing the dough, and then I'm falling asleep, and the tea kettle wakes me up. And then I'm like, and I get scared and I start banging the pots and then this and I get excited and she had a whole story and she did it. Wow. And I was like, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. You know, and no thinking of is this wrong. And then once in a while I'd say, well, how about this? And she would consider it and then go, mm -mm, no, <laughs> no, I know what I want to do. That's not it. And I thought that's it. So I feel like it gives you, because also I think you have to rethink certain things you've been doing for so long. You know, like I talked about, um, that I always felt like I had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I, I wanted my kid to be perfect. So, and my, my daughter, if you know or you met her, she cannot be put in a little box. She's huge, she's creative, and she's wrong in many ways, you know, <laughs> in a really great way. Yeah. So there were many moments when I was like, oh my God, that's, you know, people are not gonna like that or whatever, it's gonna be difficult for her. And I really had to say, wait a minute, what am I doing? That was my issue, that does not have to be her issue, so I'm gonna grow so I can let her be who she is. Yeah. So I think a lot of times it influences you greatly and then how can it not influence your work, right? If it right. changes you as a person. So what's, you know, what's uh, some final advice that, that you might have for aspiring choreographers? Um, I kind of feel like, um, you know, <clears throat> I'm still growing obviously, I'm, I'm not fully, there yet so I don't feel like I'm the person to look back and say people this is how right. I've done it right. but I do feel like um, I guess I feel like don't ever give up if that's what you feel like you want to do keep doing keep making the work I tell myself do the work every day whether it's you know teaching classes and making choreography for class to make choreography when when you feel upset whatever is happening put it into your work creative film it put it up um, and keep going because I think as long as you keep doing it because you know you choose to be an actor or a choreographer or whatever you choose but that also then I think brings your responsibility of actually having to do it so I think do it every day no matter if you feel like it or you don't feel like it or nobody's watching or everybody's watching I don't think it should change but I think being inactive would be the worst right. <laughs> thing you can do I'm curious I, I, I you know I, I just had a birthday I just turned 32 mm -hmm. and um, I think something happens thank you I think something happens in when you turn 30 
this feeling of like, you know, how much longer am I going to try to do this artist thing? You know, it's, it can be so hard. It's such a struggle. And sometimes you feel like I just need to just grow up. Did you ever have that? Did you ever have a, a sense of, of, you know, should I, am I doing the right thing? Should I grow up and, and get out of this artist thing? Or did you ever I did not. You didn't. No, right? for right. me, it was like, this is it. Um, but I think, does that mean I had, you know, I had periods of doubting or transitions, mm -hmm. which are always hard. Mm -hmm. um, or even when my husband and I decided to have a family, we were like, okay, the one thing we're going to promise one another is that no matter what, we're going to allow ourselves to continue doing what we're doing and not say, wait a minute, now there's two little beings, get a job, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like, no, um, because I, I, I just feel like it doesn't have to stop. And I feel like I had too many friends who had so much success later in life. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter that they were 50 when it came. You know, I had a good friend who didn't start acting until he was 45 and he's done, I don't know, 20 Broadway shows. So those people always inspired me, and I thought, it's not about when it happens, it's not about, and 30 really is nothing, you know? And you hear about people who, I think, do what you love. If it stops being something that, that is something you want, then maybe think about something else. But if not, I think, no, why keep, why stop? Because there's no growing up, right? Yeah. We just follow our passion, and we create every day, and, and if we keep doing that, I think that's a success in itself. All right, well, my final question that I always ask everyone on this program is just why is dance important? Why do we need dance? Oh, goodness, I can't even imagine life without dance. Um, for me, life is like breathing, uh, dance is like breathing. Um, whenever there's a period when I'm not dancing, it doesn't feel right. Um, so I think dance is is something that everybody should have in their lives, even if it's just dancing at home or doing whatever. I think it's liberating. Um, I think, and I think to see it is just, it, it makes people want to get up and do it. I think it makes people want to use their bodies. It makes people want to express. And it can do, you know, touch you in so many ways. Um, so, I mean, I think everybody needs dance, whether they know it or not. Well, I think you're so cool, Karen. I've, I've really Thank enjoyed you. this. I, from the moment I met you at BDL, I just liked you immediately. So I'm very Same here. pleased to have you on here. And um, keep on fighting the good fight and, yes. and going through the best period of your life. I love that. Yes, yes, right. Yes. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Instep is created by Broadway Dance Lab and recorded, edited, and hosted by Nick Kepley. You can listen to this podcast again, access our archives, and learn more about the company by visiting broadwaydancelab.org.